And hello, Lighthouse family, and for those of you who are watching online, good to see you once again, and hey, it's the month of March. Uh, we're looking forward to spending time in God's Word and uh, just enjoying and learning from what God would say to us through His Word. We're in a study of First Peter, and it's the, thesis, the whole series is called Following Jesus in a Hostile World. And uh, at this point, yes, we're going to date this message. We're, we've been praying, many of us, for the, what's happening in Ukraine with the Soviet Union rolling through and annihilating and wiping out a lot of people. And over a million refugees have crossed the border into Poland. And as a church here at Lighthouse, we're raising money to help our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. We'll be doing that through Samaritan's Purse, uh, through Franklin Graham, as well as through FAIR, which is the Fellowship Agency for International Relief as we help a lot of Polish pastors who are taking a lot of people from uh, that country uh, that are really struggling and are, are looking for shelter and for homes and for food. So we continue to pray for Ukraine as a church body. But as we uh, follow in God's word, we're going to be looking at this passage. We're looking just at two verses today at 1 Peter 2 verses 11 and 12. Peter was writing to Christians who are undergoing fiery trials because of intense persecution in the day of Rome. He was encouraging believers to persevere, to remain faithful, to view these difficult opportunities, uh, these difficult challenges, rather as opportunities to strengthen their faith and their witness for Jesus Christ. In today's passage, Peter reminds them of their special identity and spiritual status as God's chosen people. And when you're going through conflict, you're going through challenge, it's good to remember God chose me. And he's going to walk with me through whatever significant challenge I will face. He's promised that in his word where he says, and lo, I will be with you always. He's given us, for those who, will, who love him and who have received him as Lord and Savior, he's placed the Holy Spirit of God within our hearts. That resonates since our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have this, in a sense, assuredness that God is walking with us through every challenge and significant trial. He also goes on to call them, as Dan talked about last week, he calls them a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And the descriptions that apply to the Jews in the Old Testament, as seen in Ezekiel, uh, Exodus, pardon me, 19, 5 and 6, and Isaiah. Um, chapter 43, verses 20 and 21. But here, Peter is applying that same, these same terms and terminology to believers in the church of Jesus Christ. He reminds us then, as, he, as we are now, they were chosen by God for the purpose of witnessing and testifying to God's love in our lives. If you've got your Bibles or your phones or iPads, uh, follow along as I read these two verses in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. He says, Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So as we do that, let's just bow our heads in prayer and ask for God's blessing on his word to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the inspired, inerrant word of God. 
Lord, we pray that the word of God would continue to accomplish its purposes to all those who are listening to this message today. I pray, Lord, you would build them up, that you would strengthen them. Lord, whatever trial they're going through, that they would take confidence that they are chosen of God. And that, Lord, you will walk with them through whatever challenge they are going through. So, Lord, continue to encourage us as we study your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Peter here in this passage is addressing the recipients of his letter by reminding them that they are sojourners or exiles here on earth. It's really insightful for all of us to really pay attention to that because we really are pilgrims on a journey through this earth on our way to heaven. John Bunyan wrote a really great book called Pilgrim's Progress. Here's what he said. He said, all mankind are pilgrims. All are pressing through this world. The Christian willingly considers that his life is a journey because he is seeking a better country. But the greater multitude are anxious to prevent the recollection that time is a preparation for eternity. And in consequence of this neglect, they shudder when the approaching brink of the grave into which they are irresistibly plunged. So uh, how would you characterize your life to date? Are you a pilgrim here, just going through, realizing that this heaven is my home? Or are you uh, kind of stuck and thinking of yourself more as a citizen of earth? Are you tied to this evil world by possessions, by people, by everything you see thrown at you? Are you living your life with a future focus? Sometimes it's so easy to get caught up and all that this world has to offer. It's easy to get caught up with the, the cares and the challenges that faces every single day. And so sometimes we get our focus off Jesus Christ. We, we tend to live for what's around us and the things that can occupy our minds rather than thinking, hey, heaven is my home and I need to have that focus because time is short and eternity is forever. It's long. So may God grant each of us this amazing and sufficient grace to fight the good fight of faith, keeping sober in the spirit and preparing our minds for action. 1 Peter 1.13, the first chapter that we covered a while back, says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, John Piper in his book says this, he says, We must cultivate the mindset of exiles. What this is mainly is, is it sobers us up and, and it wakes us up so that we don't drift with the world and take for granted the way the world thinks and acts because it's so easy to go there. Don't assume that what's on TV is really helpful for your soul. Don't assume that the priorities of advertisers is helpful for your soul. Don't assume that the strategies and values of business and industry are there to help your spiritual soul. No, it's not. Don't assume that any of that glorifies God. I think we need to stop it and consult the wisdom of our own country, that being heaven. Don't assume that the conventional wisdom of this age is God's wisdom. We're to get our bearings from the very Word of God. That's why it's implicit upon us to hear the Word of God, to read it on a regular basis so that I'm guided each day in the steps I take
by the principles and precepts of God's Word. Such a challenge because uh, there's sometimes we get tired. There's sometimes there's things that preoccupy our, our minds. But get your bearings from the Word of God and then you'll be going and walking in the right direction. Peter urges the believers here to be dedicated to the relentless and even ruthless opposition to the power of sin in their lives. Because sin continually desires to have mastery over you. Peter knows that the war is incessant no matter how old you are. It continues to come alongside and spurs on the fight. That's the Holy Spirit. It's so important to realize that we need the Holy Spirit's help to fight this battle against sin. And we're told in this passage to abstain from worldly passions. Well, let's define that word abstain. It's a good word. But the question comes out this. Do you want to put to death the lusts in your heart? And then stop entertaining them. Peter does not prescribe a what I call a, problem, uh, a program of therapy. He does not suggest that sin be treated as an addiction. He simply says, stop doing it. Abstain. The Weiss paraphrase on this says this. Be constantly holding yourselves back from passionate cravings. That requires some effort, doesn't it? Never pause for a moment. And we need to pause for a moment and, and ponder that, that statement. The question we need to ask ourselves sometimes is this. How successful are you at holding yourself back when you rely on your old man, the old nature, your old fallen flesh? See, when we rely on our own strength, it's not very good, is it? when it comes to resisting the, the passions and the lusts of this world. If you're being honest, the answer is always, the flesh will not control the flesh. Therefore, I think we must daily seek to be filled with, controlled by the Holy Spirit, as seen in Ephesians 5.18, who alone can supply the supernatural power we need to hold ourselves away from whatever it is that is tempting us, that is testing us, that is challenging us. Because in your own strength, you cannot do it. And we need to be enabled, just as clear Christ clearly taught, apart from Him and His indwelling Spirit, we can do absolutely nothing in the supernatural realm, as seen in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 5. I think the only way to obey Peter's exhortation is to relinquish reliance on self and just cast yourself and say, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to guide me today because I need the Holy Spirit's strength to get through this day because without you, I can't do it. That's reliance on the Holy Spirit. Then it goes on to say in this passage, also, we're to abstain from, it says, fleshly lusts. Lusts are those that enslave they will eventually destroy your life. There's no such thing as compromising with lust or thinking, I can do this and it won't really hurt. Or I can do this and I can get away with it. Or I can do this and I'll ask you just to forgive me and it's okay. Do not be deceived. You cannot partially uh, abstain from lust. You cannot compromise with lust. Sin within fallen man is often personified in Paul's teachings and writings. It's portrayed as an organized power. Someone said this, 
Think of sin as an evil king, for example, who seeks to rule over your will and act out through the members of your body. Sin is like a king that says, I will rule over you. Do you want to be ruled by sin, my friend? I hope not. It's so easy to think that I can play with sin and I can get away with it. And that is Satan's ploy, to think that you can have your way, you can enjoy this, and that there are no consequences for sinful actions. John Piper said this, Lust is a sexual desire that dishonors its object and disregards God. It is a corruption of a good thing by the absence of the honorable commitment and by the absence of a supreme regard for God. If your sexual desire is not guided by respect for the honor of others and regard for the holiness of God, it is lust. Uh, the Greek uh, paraphrase on this says this, hold, to hold oneself away from fleshly lusts. You say to yourself, man, that, that's kind of tough. You're absolutely right, it is tough. It's tough enough because of the fleshly lusts that are in us, especially tough in our society because we live, as one author said, we live in a pornographic society. Everywhere you look, you'll see it. And in a pornographic society where our fleshly lusts are fed constantly by the visual images of pornography and the verbal expressions of pornography that are around us all the time is a challenge to abstain from things that will trip you up, that will tear you up, that will destroy you. And so for this, is, this is a great challenge for the Holy Spirit to, to give us the victory in this area. The passions, the passions of the flesh, however, are not just related to sexual sin. In the New Testament context, it's much wider than that. Paul's list of sins of the flesh from Galatians 5, 19 to 21 lists these. Immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. Uh, uh, you see there's a far more than just bodily sins that are actually listed there. In the New Testament, flesh stands for far more than just the physical nature of man. It stands for human nature apart from God. It means unredeemed human nature. It means life lived without standards, the help and the grace and the influence of Jesus Christ in our lives. Fleshly desires and the sins of the flesh, therefore, include not only even the grosser sins, but all that is characteristic of the human nature. John Piper goes on to say this, and he says it well. Desiring is what we are. We are desire factories. It's a part of being a human. Whether you go to heaven or to hell depends on whether the factory is producing desires that are in accord with Christ and his gospel or desires that are in accord with the world and are anti-God. He said that these were to abstain from these fleshly lusts and then he goes on to use this phrase, which wage war? We need to really dig into that and see what that means. It means literally to perform a military service, serve as a soldier in the army, go to fight, carry on a military campaign, make a military expedition, 
It leads soldiers to war and battle. He said, there's a battle, there's a war going on. There's an expedition that is put together by Satan that is spearheaded by Satan to destroy and to cause war within you. Uh, that name for war is actually seen in the present tense of that verb. And it means uh, that the spiritual campaign spearheaded by fleshly lusts against our soul is a continual struggle that we can expect to engage in until the day we go home to be with Jesus. You mean to tell me, Pastor, that I'm going to be waging war against the lusts of the flesh that are warring against my soul to the day Christ takes me home? The answer is absolutely. That's why it's so imperative that we rely upon the Holy Spirit of God every day to lead us and to guide us and direct our paths. It was therefore do nothing that should keep us from reaching our ultimate goal of being more and more like Christ every day. It was never become so entangled in the world that we cannot escape from its grip. And then he said that these, this spiritual campaign, this warfare, the focus is it's against the soul. The word against describes a downward movement that's used in a hostile sense that this war is trying to take us down, especially within the terms the word soul. It's a part of man which wills, thinks, and feels, and or in other words, the willpower, the reason, and the emotions, the personality with all his hopes and desires and aspirations. That's where Satan is waging his warfare against you so he can change everything about you. Another thing to notice in this text is that the battle for the soul and the battle for the glory of God is fought first at the level of our desires and then at the level of our behavior. First the level of what we feel, then at the level of what we do. Then he goes on to say in the next verse, verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The NLT phrases it this way. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So you see that phrase, that let's, let's dissect this verse. The word keep has the meaning of Think of the picture of hold the line, like soldiers do in warfare as the enemy attacks. Hold the line, hold the front against his enemy regarding your behavior. Don't cross the line in terms of abominable attitudes and practice of the unregenerate, sinful world. Don't allow your attitude, your actions to be that which the world expects. Happen to be, it needs to be godly, it needs to be Christ-like, especially when we're under attack. The present tense calls for an attitude or habitual way of life, continually holding your outward behavior in excellency so people can see Christ in us. And that really throws them sometimes because when they look at us and they perhaps see some of the challenges that are being thrown our way, they, they start seeing that the love of Christ, the attitude of Christ-likeness is seen through us in the challenging, testing times of life. And that's where Christ is most often evident in your life and mine to others around us. The act of determining our course of conduct 
and carrying out that, that determined course of action is so very vital and important. This relates also to the moral and spiritual aspects of one's manner of life in view. So in other words, the morals, the, the morals, my morality, my spiritual walk with Christ, my manner of living my life before others around me should be so evident to the world around us that they see Christ through us. In other words, the related brand of a new quality of life, a transformed life, empowered by the Spirit of Christ, must be evident to an unsaved world. So what good is the gospel if it doesn't change you, if it doesn't change me, if I just act and live exactly like everybody else? God's desire for your life, my friend, is that your example, your attitude, your actions, people would see Jesus Christ. Why would you say that, Pastor? Well, let me give you a quote here. Jesus doesn't call secret disciples. You hear that? He doesn't call secret disciples. Unsafe people are watching believers sometimes speaking against us and looking for excuses to reject the gospel because as they examine your life and if it doesn't measure up, they say, well, why would I want to become a Christian if people who profess to be Christians are living and acting like that? What's the difference? See, if we're going to witness to the lost people around us, we must live a, a winsome life before them. See, every Christian is an advertisement for Christianity. You see the next phrase in this verse of Scripture. It says, so when they speak against you as evildoers. See, early Christians were falsely accused of rebellion against the government. With such false accusation as terrorism, in other words, burning Rome, atheism, no idols or emperor worship, cannibalism, the Lord's Supper when they ate of the bread and drank of the juice, uh, they were symbolized. They said that that's, that's, that's cannibalism. Immorality, a love for one another. Damaging trade and social progress and leading slaves into insurrection. The church was all accused of those things. Uh, Peter's point is important, and that is this. Unfair criticism is unavoidable. But under no circumstances should believers give the world a reason that justifies such reproach. Unfair slander is best refuted by an unbroken record of good deeds, or then the slanderers will be compelled to glorify God when he returns. So when people accuse you falsely and make all kinds of bad things up, they lie about you, continue to walk steadfastly, loving Christ, not retelling, not mouthing off, but living your life with such behavior that they see not only that you are living for Christ, but that you are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God because you don't react in a negative way to what's going on around you. The powerful impact that Christians can make on the lost when they combine a godly life with a loving witness is really well known to most of us. Because when people lead godly lives and that you see in their behavior and the way they talk, people are drawn and want to know what's going on in their lives. Yet we all know of instances of some wonderful conversions that have happened because of dedicated Christians that, in essence, have shone their light in different circumstances. And on the other hand, 
we can recall with sadness, lost people who rejected the word because of the inconsistent lives of those who profess to believe believers in Jesus Christ. I've met people, share, share the good news of Christ with them, and they'll tell me, why would I want to become a Christian when, and they'll name the person who says he's a Christian, does this, this, and this. Why would I want to become a Christian? Unfortunately, the only Bible some people will watch, the only Bible some people will read is your life. So we need to be careful as to how we live. Well, what do we learn from that? All this today from these two verses, quite a lot actually. The challenge is for all those who belong to Christ is to let our light shine supernaturally before men, so they may see His good deeds in our lives, and that these good deeds give a proper opinion of our heavenly Father. Do you see the pattern that Peter is calling us to pursue in this passage? Our visible deeds should give evidence of our invisible God. In other words, can others see Jesus Christ in me? Am I surrendering daily to the Spirit, allowing Him to live His life in and through me? That's the challenge. It's often called the Christ life, as summarized in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where we read, the Apostle Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Peter's encouraging people to persevere, to remain faithful, to view these difficult times as opportunities to strengthen their faith and bear witness to Christ. You know, you might be going through some really tough times in your life now. Maybe you're not being persecuted for your faith. Maybe there's other stuff going down in your life. But just remember, as you're going through the tough stuff, God is saying, persevere. Hang in there, because the witness of your life, especially when going through tough times, can, God can use that in a significant way to impact the lives of those who do not know Jesus Christ. They'll be watching you. They're looking at you saying, no, nah, no, nah, people don't look at me. Yeah, they do. They're not going to tell you. But people are watching. So it's my prayer that as they watch your life and as they watch my life, that they might see our good deeds, our love, our compassion, our care, and say, you've got something I want. Scripture says that we are a chosen generation, a royal peace priesthood, a holy nation. The descriptions that we said applied to the Jewish nation, but now applied to the body of Christ. And Peter is reminding us that we are chosen by God for the purpose of witnessing and testifying to God's love in our lives. May that be our prayer every single day. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word to our hearts. Continue to mold us, continue to shape us, and may your Holy Spirit guide us, Lord, every single day that we might be witnesses through our lives, through our actions, through our deeds of the grace of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us, we pray. We ask it in his name. Amen. God bless you. And I hope you have a great week.